Hey guys, welcome to Inside and Out with Mike and Nate. This week we have Jonathan Lidskin in place of Nate, and we are pleased to introduce Mets ex expert and SNY writer Joe DeMaio. Joe, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Great, guys. How are you? Good. So, um, I wanted to start off with more general uh, free agency stuff. Uh, in terms of you know, the big guys. So I'm talking Strauss, Cole, and Rendon. Those are the big three. Boris's guys. What are your thoughts on those deals? Uh, were they overpaid, or is that just where the market's going? I think it's where the market's going for the most part. And honestly, with the way the market has been the last couple of years, I think it's awesome that these guys are getting paid more. So it, re it really didn't bother me too much. Uh, I would say my surprise a little bit. I didn't think Strasburg would end up getting the average annual salary that he ended up getting at 35, 35 a year. Why do you not think so? Me. What was that? Why do you not think so? Like he's obviously he's obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball today, Absolutely. and he's a little injury prone. Some would some would say, but I feel like with his perfor performance, he probably deserved it. What do, What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I'm not I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying based on how the market has gone the last couple of years, and you've seen good players get shut out into spring training, and to see someone sign early exactly. the last couple of years the last couple of years has kind of meant you took a below value deal just so you knew you had a job. And so when he signed early, I was like, All right, I, I knew he would get a raise. I figured he might be around thirty, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, something like that. And when it went to three five, I was like, "Oh wow!" And then once that happened, that obviously set the market for Garrett Cole, and uh, Anthony Rendon obviously followed with the same deal as Strasburg. But I, I think Scott Boris played it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason he's the best agent in the game, and he knew to play Strasburg before Cole if he could, because if whatever Cole got. Mm -hmm. That would automatically mean less for Strasburg. So if he could set a higher bar with Strasburg, then he could set an even higher bar with Cole. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And the guy's a genius. He's made eighty-five million dollars this week. So. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and and he has, and he still has more guys to go. So mm -hmm. uh, right, he's not he's not done. <laughs> I agree with you. I was surprised uh, in terms of what Strauss got thirty-five. You know, for per, per year over the course of seven years. I'm a little surprised in that the seven-year commitment to Strauss seems a little long for a guy that's had Tommy John. Um, and frankly, I think it, the stat was three over his past five years, he has not exceeded 150 innings pitch. So I think yeah. he, he had, you know, he it was a money year for him, and he, he made it, you know, well worth it, including World Series MVP. So I was a little surprised by that long-term commitment and the amount of money he got. Uh, but clearly he earned it this year. So, yeah, uh, I know Jonathan had a question uh, about the rest of free agency. Yeah, so uh, which additional acquisitions do you believe to come soon? Like, I know there's a lot of rumors going around Azuna to the Braves. Donaldson now apparently is uh, rumored to go to the Nats after the Rangers said they were out. And then I've also heard Castellanos to the G Giants. What, what do you see com coming soon from these other notable free agents? Yeah, it, it seems from everything that we can gather is that free agency is just moving at a better pace this year. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm at the point where last year and the year before, I didn't really care so much about the hot stove in December. It really was kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, I would follow for Mets rumors and stuff, obviously. But 
it just nothing was going to happen. There would just be a rumor here and there, but nothing was happening. Right. But it seems like things are moving at a more rapid rate. You saw the last, the three biggest free agents on the market sign at the winter meetings. I mean, it's the biggest move, free agent signings at the winter meetings since A-Rod. Right. <laughs> so, and, that, and that was a very long time ago. Uh, so I think you're going to see all these guys move relatively quickly, uh, especially because, like you said, if Josh Donaldson ends up with the Nationals, well, they wanted to rebound quickly and replace Rendon. So a lot of these kind of make sense. You see where they lost guys and need to and want to you know replicate them as quickly as possible. Right. Um, I want to kind of transition from the general MLB to to the Mets. Um, we saw them sign Rick Porcello this morning. My personal opinion, um, I'm not the biggest fan of Rick Porcello. I can see, you know, there is definitely more upside than at least, like, let's say, a Michael Walker that they signed yesterday um, in Rick Porcello. I liked, really, I, I really liked Julio Tehran, Wade Miley, Gio Gonzalez. I even kind of preferred Homer Bailey. Um, but there's no depth they have, uh, there's no doubt they have depth now. What are your thoughts on the Rick Porcello signing? Honestly, I like the idea of Rick Porcello uh, for the reasons are, as we know, they do not really have starting pitching depth uh, beyond the guys that we know now, the six that we know. Uh, nothing to write home about. David Peterson is probably your next guy, but right. he's going to be debuting in AAA, and we're going to kind of see how, how it goes with him. But I think with the lack of depth and how healthy that they were last year, that that probably will not repeat itself. I have, I hope nothing significant, but no, I agree. it's, it's, it's conf- I would feel like there's a good chance that Stroman, Syndergaard, someone will miss some time. And I think adding a guy like Porcello, albeit not a spectacular pitcher, obviously the numbers speak for themselves, right. but he is a guy that you know is going to be out there every fifth day. He's going to throw you innings. He's going to get 175 to 190 innings. And you could say it with, you know, some high level of confidence. And I think that's an important thing for the Mets. Uh, fifth starter kind of guy, I think he's he's more than fine. And I like that they kept it to one year. I, I agree. I think the one-year commitment's huge. Um, and I, I do think there is a value to a guy, you know, an innings eater, uh, a guy that can pitch every, yeah. every five days. Um, and I think it's interesting to note, Rick Porcello has not had a um, – has not had a season where he has less than one point, I think it was 1.8 war uh, in the last five years. Even last year, he had 1.8 war. So um, I, I agree. I, what are your thoughts, really? I liked Julio Tehran and Gio Gonzalez. Do you think those two guys could be making more than Rick Porcello at one year, $10 million, Or uh, were they really attached to Rick as a, as a player for the Mets? I don't imagine that they will make more than Rick Porcello. Okay to be honest with you. Um, I think the Mets just for, you could even go, like you said, with war and one war is typically evaluated in the neighborhood of $8 million. So if they paid $10 million and he gave them 1.8 war, then on paper, if he did exactly the same war wise, that it's a contractual win. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to really like kind of switch over to another pitcher that the Mets added, and Michael Waka. And now, Joe, I'm a I'm a Cubs fan. My dad and my family, they're all Cubs fans. 
when Michael Glocka came into the league, my dad was obsessed with him. He loved him. He, he, and this is coming from a Cubs fan when he was on the Cardinals. So you, you can imagine that most Cubs fans didn't, didn't really like him. So what, he now, they, the Mets now have a new pitching coach. Michael Glocka has been injured a little in his career. How do you think he makes an impact on the Mets? I think it's going to be an interesting one because Walker is sort of not the new age blow it IU kind of pitcher. Yeah, he's much more of a crafty guy. He, he's I, I would say the smart move would be to make him throw his changeup even more than oh, he does. I agree, and mm-hmm. I think that's and I think that's something that Jeremy Hefner will do, and he did with many pitchers as he helped in Minnesota. Uh, but as far as impact, I think it's it's a little too early to tell because. It, are they going to keep all six starting pitchers, or are they going to trade a Stephen Matz? Are they going to trade a Marcus Stroman? I, I don't know if they will or won't, but that's certainly a conversation. And at that point, Waka would slide into the fifth spot if they were to trade Matz, use him as an example. But otherwise, maybe Mike Puma uh, said this, I believe, earlier today, that maybe they use a Robert Gazelman to help shed yeah. Jen Lowry's contract. Yep. And if they do that, then you could kind of shift Waka into the Gazelman role, a multi-inning reliever kind of thing. And at that point, I assume a lot of his incentives are probably innings pitch-based. Then if he's working out of the bullpen, he's probably not going to reach too many of those qualifiers. Exactly. Yeah. And then he ends up being a true $3 million player, which is probably would be frowned upon by Waka's agent. But, uh, yeah. you know. Sometimes sometimes that's the way it works, but like you guys said, uh, his health has been a problem. I mean, he hasn't been reliable for the last few years uh, as far as pitching a lot of innings. So perhaps a bullpen role where he pitches not an everyday type of relief, but he pitches every three days, four days, and throws two to three innings if necessary, then you know maybe that could be better for his body. Yeah, and I was... Um, I. You know, when I initially saw this, um, and I was talking to, to you know to all my Mets guys, they were they were pretty opposed to him being the number five starter. Uh, and I, I took a look at his projected twenty twenty stats. If he was to you know remain a starter, Fangraph Steamer has him at an eight nine record with a five zero ERA, um, one forty innings pitched with a one point one WAR and a five point oh six FIP. So not good, um, and. You know, when I saw Porcello, instantly, you know, it transitioned to, well, let's, you know, let's put Porcello in the five spot and let's take Waka and do we make him a six or a, or a bullpen or what's the deal? When I read that, it, you know, there's an injury concern with moving him to the bullpen, my thought was, how about, you know, we keep him in the bullpen. Uh, if an arm goes down, you transition him to the rotation. Is that, a, is that a possibility, you think, where he kind of flip-flops back and forth, up and down, or would they commit to him as a starter or a reliever? I think he has to come in with the idea that he has to be flexible. Yeah. Unless, of course, like I said, they trade Stephen Matz. Yeah. If they trade someone, then obviously he slides into the rotation. But assuming they do not, then I think he has to be prepared to work out of the bullpen and maybe spot start or... Like you said, certainly if there's an injury, then be prepared to jump into the rotation. But that's the important part of having starting pitching depth because guys miss time. Uh, it's very on an average year, you're going to need eight starters to get through a season at, at minimum. So 
you know, he, he even if he starts in the pen, he's he's definitely destined to start games. Now, um, it, it, I think a little bit of a quirk with uh, Michael Walker's deal is that you know the base salary is three million, which is being applauded by most of baseball as is a really good bargain. Um, but as for the ten million that he can you know make up to. Obviously, the luxury tax is employed at the end of the season so that, you know, the players, you know, we can see if they hit their incentives or not. Um, my question to you is, you know, I'm assuming the Mets, being that they are cheap and won't, you know, refuse to exceed the luxury tax despite getting, you know, millions of dollars from the insurance. Um, do you think that them proceeding with him, assuming that he's going to reach all of his incentives, do you think that could really hurt them? Because... Now they're extremely limited in that, let's say, they can't go after a down Batances or a high-end reliever, or what do you think about that part of the deal? Yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate that they're not willing to go above the luxury tax, but uh, I'm sure you guys follow me on Twitter, so you've seen I what do. I've been tweeting. It's one of those things that's like, it sucks, but we kind of almost have to accept it in a yep. sense and try to, if because we all play armchair GM, it's what's it's what's fun and you can't operate unrealistically. So I don't, I don't, and also I do not think it's uncommon throughout baseball that teams account for incentives as, okay, let's account for it because he can get it. Right. Okay. And that, and if he does make $10 million and that means he had a pretty awesome year, probably. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah, you you make a good point. Like you you want when you sign a guy, you want to be able to trust him, and you want to assume he's going to have a good year. You don't sign him assuming he's going to have a bad year. So that that's a good point. Um, just a quick question: should the should the Mets have been replacing Jason Vargas' spot of the rotation, or Zach Wheeler they lost to the Phillies? This is a thing that I don't understand the obsession on Twitter. People are worried about who they're necessarily replacing. At the end of the day. They had an open spot in the rotation. They had to fill it. If you want to say they <laughs> needed to replace Zach Wheeler, okay. If you want to say they needed to replace Jason Vargas, okay. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, they had a spot. They had to fill it. And certainly the rotation is not as good as it was when the regular season ended. And that was probably to be expected. You were losing Zach Wheeler, who is an, a pitcher that's seemingly still on the upswing a little bit. And a number three, number two type starter. And... You weren't going to replicate that without sending a very lot of money, which the Mets, with Cespedes and Wright and all and all this money up, that counts towards the luxury tax. Even though, like you said, they get insurance, they, they were they're tight on budget, and it it makes a difficult job for Brody. So yeah, for, he's he's working through as best he can, and I certainly don't think they're close to done. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be creatively doing things, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where where it goes. But I don't I don't really get it too much into the which guy are they replacing. Right. I just know they have a spot in the rotation; they needed to fill it. Do you think at this point, right now, the Mets are a better team than they were last year? Uh, you know, I no. think part of the second half success was in part of having both Stroman and Wheeler as part of the rotation. Um, and they obviously upgraded center field defense. Is this a better club than it was just a few months ago? Absolutely not. Okay. Definitely not. They they replaced they replaced Wheeler with let's say Waka slash Porcello, right? And Marisnik and Ligaris. Let's call it Even. almost a wash. Right. Marisnik a little better, but 
certainly a negligible difference. Exactly. It's not a significant difference. Uh, so as of this moment, no, they're not better. Um, doesn't mean they cannot do other things to help them get better because I don't care what Brody said. I find it incredibly hard to believe that this bullpen will not be different from exactly. the way it right now. Right. Um, and Andy Martino uh, reported yesterday, I think before this Porcello signing, everyone was like, well, they're going to get down Batanza, so it's okay. Uh, Andy Martino came out and said, hey, the Mets really haven't been engaged in, in down Batanza's takes, our talks. And that would you know make sense given that um, Waka's deal, you have to assume he's getting $10 million, which pretty much leaves us with right now we're $2 million under that luxury tax payroll. Um, is it realistic to count the Mets out on Batances? We saw Jose LeCork was thrown out today that they've had talks with him. You know, what direction do you think they're really headed? Is it trade, free agency in terms of fixing that bullpen? I think you might see a combination of the two, to be honest with you. And ruled out on Batances, I don't know if I go that far, but I do think Blake Trinan getting a year and $10 million, that up Batances' price. And I don't think the Mets are in a position where they can be paying near $10 million for a single reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless they do some very uh, interesting financial uh, moving. changes with yeah. Yeah, moving money Suspense. around. So I, I, I would say probably not on Batanzas, but you know, not, you never know. Right. So that, that, that's certainly an option. But I think you could see a trade. As if the Mets can manage to move Jed Lowry's money, and not use Dominic Smith as the young piece to entice a team to take Jed Lowry's at $11 million, mm-hmm. then I think you can use Dominic Smith and get an interesting reliever. Uh, there's been word that Jose LeClerc over in Texas could be a reliever that could interest the Mets. Yeah. And Dominic Smith is kind of a natural fit with them, only having one first baseman on their 40-man roster. They probably don't do Dom Smith straight up for LeClaire, but right. can you throw in a Shirley and Newton as an example, a guy that they kept, uh, well, left unprotected and didn't five. end up losing in the Rule 5. Yep. Yeah, so maybe someone like that, an interesting athlete prospect, and Dom Smith, maybe that gets you a guy like him. And then you can sit back and see kind of which reliever falls through the cracks because it happens, there, happens every winter. So you might, in the middle of January, be able to get, I don't know, Steve Ciszek, he might fall, right. and you might be able to get him for three and a half million dollars. Yep, just you, just as an example. Right. So I, I think I think they they should they need to add two relievers in my opinion. I agree, and I think one in trade and one in free agency makes sense. And I'm okay waiting on free agency if Batanzas prices himself out and ends up getting near Blake Trinan money. That's just not going to work for the Mets. Right. Um, in in terms of Jose Leclerc. I think it's going to require quite the at least prospect base. From what I've seen, you know, he has five years of control. The kid was really, really good this past year. His numbers were fantastic, especially he had a little bit of a meltdown near the middle of the season. But after they, you know, demoted him from his role, he had a one under a one five ERA for the remainder of the season. I think it's tough for me to think. That Dom Smith, I think Dom Smith is a, is a really good fit for them. But my question is, how how many prospects and at what quality? I, I'm not you know certain that one prospect. I, I like Newton. I think he's a good prospect. But in terms of pairing him with Dom Smith, I don't know if that gets a uh, gets a deal done. 
How high do you think the Mets have to go in terms of adding prospects to Dom Smith to get a deal done? It's that's a tough one. I always like I like to play GM, but it's very tough to kind of like stamp something like they would need this because yeah. I don't know. We don't know what Texas likes in the Mets system. Just you. I mean, you could look at MLB Pipeline's rankings, or especially you could look at my top twenty prospects at SNY.TV. Yeah, um, but. At the end of the day, what I think may not be what you think, mm-hmm. may not be what John Daniels thinks. Yeah. So it, it's really tough to gauge. But at the end of the day, it's a it's something that I would pursue. And I think I might, I'm trying to think where I would even draw the line. I, I wouldn't part with like a Mark Vientos. I wouldn't part with a David Peterson because Mets are probably going to need him. Right. So if you get, just go below them. And I think I'm open-minded about mostly anything below those guys. Okay. It just it, dep- it depends what Texas is looking for. But getting an everyday first baseman, uh, if they believe he will be an everyday first baseman, because maybe they don't like Dom Smith and we're talking about nothing. But right. if they like Dom Smith, like I, I know that some teams do, then he could be a guy that they could slot in every day and does an everyday first baseman's value equate to a relievers. I mean, Leclerc was a 1.4 war guy this year. Yeah. And that was on his full season results. Don Smith was 0.8 part-time, didn't play every day kind of thing. So is Don Smith a two and a half to three war first base? Exactly. I don't know. Maybe he is. Right. If he, if he gets a full opportunity. So I, I think Don Smith won't get him alone. Like I said, tough to say which prospects or how many prospects, but obviously you have to, be careful in how much you're trading too. But Leclerc right. is just one of the options that makes sense. I'm sure there's others on other teams too. Right. Um, Nimmo, uh, the Marte uh, rumors are, are intriguing. I think Marte is a, is a very interesting option for the Mets. Um, it's important to note that Danny Abriano from SNY today reported that the Mets would not deal Nimmo for Marte straight up. That's not something they would consider. Is this a possible cap dump, uh, cap dump situation? Uh, and, and my question on top of that is, do you prefer Nimmo or Marte? Uh, which one do you think has higher trade value? Nimmo. Nimmo has higher trade value. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's got much, more, much more, more control, much younger, cheaper, and he's he had the neck injury this year that wiped out most of the season, but he came back in September and posted an OPS I think it was like 960, yep. something like that. So like he, he had he came back strong and looked like the Nimmo that in 2018 was a four-win player. So I think Nimmo definitely has more value than Marte does. I wouldn't swap Nimmo for Marte, no chance. I, I was, I'm, I'm kind of the leader of the Sterling Marte fan club. I like him a lot, and you could talk me into J.D. Davis in a deal, yep. but Brandon Nimmo is where I'm kind of drawing the line. And it seems, uh, according to Tim Healy, that maybe there won't be a Marte deal. And it's okay if there isn't. Right. Uh, maybe it saves Brody from himself a little bit, because who knows how aggressive he may have gotten. But yeah. I think there's still more more stuff to happen this offseason. And if you think about it, did you see Michael Walker coming? No. I didn't. And when Michael Walker happened... Did you think we'd wake up today and they'd sign Rick Porcello? Yeah. I didn't. So I think it's interesting. And Brody has one of the things that he's done very well is keeping things close to the vest. It's 
when you hear rumored things with the Mets, they rarely happen. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the thing it's the things that you don't hear about that seemingly are happening. Yep. Yeah. So, um, being in Chicago, the um, and being a Cubs fan, the Cubs and the Mets are in a little bit of a similar situation right now with with, with trading. The I keep hearing the Cubs mentioning Miguel Amaya and what's go, what's going on with them because they're trading Chris Bryant. So. The Mets obviously have Francisco Alvarez, who's r- really young and is going to be a really good player. Do you think um, he should be at all considered for being in a deal for Starling Marte? I would not trade Francisco Alvarez for Starling Marte in a deal for Starling Marte. My personal opinion for prospects: Ronnie Mauricio, Brett Beatty, Matthew Allen, Francisco Alvarez. Not moving them. I Anyone agree. else? I'm open for discussion. Yep. Those guys need to stay on in this organization. You can't continue to strip this farm system down to the core, but you have to be willing to give something to get something. I, I don't see why the Pirates wouldn't like Andre Semenez. I mean, they don't have awesome middle infielders uh, now or going forward. If you look, if you look through their system, it's not like they have some top shortstop prospect coming. Right. So to me, I don't know why they wouldn't have significant interest in him, but. You know, maybe the Mets don't want to trade him either. Right. It's 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 tough to say. Brody might be holding firm this offseason after the disaster of the Cano trade last year, and he's maybe he's like, oh, I learned my lesson, not trading prospects this year. Yeah, and that might might just be the case. I'm with you in that. I prefer Nimmo to Marte. Um, my question is, if you attach a guy like Jed Lowry to Nimmo. Uh, for Marte, I think, you know, at least in my opinion, I think I, that makes sense for the Mets. I, I, a little bit questionable as for the Pirates. Is that a deal that you think can materialize or no? No, I don't think so. And I don't think the Mets should do that either. I mean, I don't think shedding one year of Jed Lowry is worth the downgrade or the perceived potential downgrade of Nimmo to Marte. And now, if you go and get Marte and trade Nimmo, that means J.D. Davis is playing every day in left field. If J.D. Davis is playing every day in left field, he's probably going to end up being the worst defensive outfielder in baseball. <laughs> I mean, he was ne- negative 11 DRS over 500 innings or whatever it was in left. Now extrapolate that to a full season of 1,200 innings. You're talking negative 20-something DRS. Yeah. He's, J.D. JD is a guy that I'd be more willing to trade than Nimmo. And to shed Jed Lowry, I'm not going crazy. Uh, I know they'll have to give something. Uh, I'm hoping maybe a Robert Gazelman could work. But certainly Nimmo, they need to hang on to Nimmo. He needs to be part of this core. And I don't think he's a center fielder, truly. I think he would be a quality left fielder if he played every day in left. So that's why I had interest in Marte. But when the name Nimmo came up, I was like, whoa. That's not what I want. I want Marte, but I want Marte with flanked by Nimmo and Conforto. So it sounds like the Marte thing might be souring a bit, but you know, it, you never know where where it'll end up. If the Mets deal for for Marte, um, and and let's picture they they figure out a way to hold on to Nimmo uh, and, and Davis, is Davis expendable? Can they let him go? Th- figuring they have Nimmo and left Marte in center. And Conforto and Ryder, is J.D. Davis a valuable piece for them? I don't believe he's expendable. I don't think he's a guy that you're like, oh, let's just get rid of J.D. Davis. Yeah. I mean, by all evidence, the bat is real. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> he had a high he, he had a high bat, which 
suggests that maybe he'll come down from a 900 OPS guy. But even if he does, who cares? If he's an 820 OPS guy, is that a bad thing? No. I mean, the, the problem is, defensively, he can't play anywhere. So the right. tough part is finding a spot for him. Um, he's a guy that I think is best suited to come off the bench while he's with a National League team, and maybe down the road you train to an American League team where he could maybe DH more. But comes off the bench, plays periodically in left or wherever you want to just jam him for a day, and chances are he's not going to kill you, and maybe he'll hit a homer. So it'll it'll offset it a little bit. But no, I don't think he's expendable at all. I think he's a valuable member of this team, and we know that injuries happen, like we were talking about with the rotation earlier. So maybe... You know, Nimmo gets hurt or Conforto gets hurt. And then there you go. J.D. Davis is now in, in the lineup every day. Right. So the um, a bunch of teams in the NL East have been ob- obviously active. The Braves make a lot of moves to their pitching staff. The Phillies are getting better. The Nationals are obviously having to place Rendon now trying to get Donaldson. So with all that's happening among those teams right now, where do you think the Mets stand in the NL East among the rest of the teams? That's a good one. I, I, I think they're on paper behind Atlanta, behind Philly, and I'd say they're pretty comparable to Washington. At I, this point. I agree. So I, think, I think right now they're probably around the third best team in the division. Now, you know, screw the Nationals. We're better than them. I so. agree. I think <laughs> so. That's what I said. I have them at yeah, third. I think third. Yep. Yeah. But at the end of the day, projections are projections. They eventually have to play baseball, and you never know what happens across a long 162-game season. And the Mets may have more upgrades still to come, so I, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's easy to kind of declare something right now because the Braves might make more moves, Phillies might make more moves, Washington might make more moves, and the Mets might too. So I think it's something we can revisit in a month, let's say, or maybe a month and a half. But I don't see why the Mets aren't every bit as good as Washington. And I don't think they're far behind Philly either. Right. Um, for it, it, the agenda, it seems for Brody has changed quite a bit. Uh, at the beginning of the off season, the talk was, "Hey, listen, you know Ramos's defense isn't great," um, and it, they were seemingly unhappy with Nito. Obviously, the bat isn't there, but I thought the defense was. Uh, is this whole backup catcher idea is it gone now that? Uh, Brody added Ali Sanchez to the 40-man, and is there even enough you know, room to add another catcher to this roster? I don't. I think you might, you could see maybe another minor league deal, but with the money that they're already, like you said, tight against the luxury tax, and you saw a guy like Austin Romine get over $4 million today. So if you wanted Jason Castro or you wanted Martin Maldonado, you're probably paying six, seven million dollars. So, I mean, those guys are the, the Mets can't afford to pay that much for a backup catcher. And Tomas Nito's out of options too, so that's another factor. You can't send Tomas Nito down. And are you going to carry three catchers? No, I think most teams are going to probably use the twenty-six man for an extra reliever. Yep. So, I, I don't, I don't foresee a backup catcher unless they swing one via trade and trade Nito to Pittsburgh or something because I know they're looking for a young catcher that plays good defense. Um, Maybe not for Marte. Maybe they flip Nito and a prospect for Keone Kella. I don't know. Something like that. Just spitballing. But something like that. Maybe that that can uh, can work. (laughs) Yeah, with all the Mets outfield guys they have 
Uh, they go out and they get Jake Mariznick, who's a obviously def- defensive guy, defensive guy. And so, yep. how do you think the Mets are going to use him? Are they is he going to get platoon at bats against lefties or no? He's not really a guy that has a lot of a pop and stands out with his bat. Yeah, and, and he doesn't really have platoon split, so it's not like he crushes lefties, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just. He's just not. He's just not really a good hitter. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Much way around it. He's got a little pop, like you said, and he could run, so he could steal a couple bases for you. But I think ultimately his best job is going to be kind of what one like Harris was, which is come in late in games and play center field and shift them over to left yeah. or something like that. So I think his his biggest value will be as a defensive replacement, pinch runner, and then you know obviously he'll play from time to time, but. From people I talk to, they say one of the best things about Mertnick is he's an incredible clubhouse guy. He's a glue guy. He He's a leader despite not being a full-time player. So, I, you know, I think it's a fine addition, and it's just a different look from Ligaris a little bit. That's all. I, I agree. Um, in terms of Cespedes, he's an interesting case. He, he's on his walk year, um, and, you know, usually players play a little bit better when they're playing for money. Do you think he'll make an impact on 2020, and, and really should they rely on that impact? I would act as if he does not exist. Okay. And if some, and if something happens, cool, you get a big bat. But obviously, you saw the video of him swinging, taking BP with Andy Chavez, and now there's word that he's running a bit. But running and playing left field very much at the major league level is – there's a big difference between the two, so I don't, and they won't even commit to anything. So, I'm personally acting as if he doesn't exist and will not play this year. And if he does, then it's kind of a, a little bit of a bonus. And I hope the Mets are looking at it the same way. Right. So we saw Pete Alonso last year break onto the the scene with the Mets. He obviously broke the rookie home run record. This year, what's reasonable to expect out of out of Pete Alonso? Mm. Less than fifty-three home runs, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I think he kind of he's I think he's gonna be a thirty-five plus homer a year guy. I think he, he just his power. Like, just look at some of the home runs he pokes at them, and they're thirty feet over the fence. Yeah. So he he just got unreal power, and it dates back to when I saw him in Brooklyn when the Mets drafted him out of the University of Florida. If you were to ask. Brandon Nemo and Conforto and Ike Davis and all these guys that came through that Brooklyn hitting a home run to right field at MCU Park in Brooklyn is almost impossible because there's always a breeze coming in from the beach there that's pushing the ball in. I went to one of Alonzo's games and he poked at a ball and put it over the seats that are in right field, and he didn't look like he got a good swing on it. The guy just has so much power. Um, you just hope that. He doesn't get too much into strikeouts and dip his average too, too low. But he's got a good enough eye that I think if he could be a 240, 250 hitter and get on base at a 340 clip and hit 35 to 40 home runs a year, I mean, that's that's an almost all-star caliber player every year. Right. Uh, I agree. I think, I think, Pete, you're probably expecting 40 home runs. I think that's a fair estimate, but definitely still an impact player. Um, as for pitching, Jeremy Hefner is said, you know, to be a genius. He, he, he's very good at knowing, you know, which guys should throw which pitch and which count. And if you have a really nice curveball, maybe we throw that, make that your primary pitch. 
Is is this is Hefner a guy that could maybe drop Thor into his into an ERA in the low threes? Uh, and who could be best helped on this roster? Is it Edwin Diaz, Porcello, Waka? Who do you think really can get better from Hefner? I think Syndergaard could get better from Hefner. I think Robert Kesselman could get better from Hefner, and certainly, like you said, Edwin Diaz could get better from Hefner. From everything we read, like you said, he's a whiz. He's incredibly analytically driven, but also has the old school pitcher mindset because he pitched in the not too distant past. So I think he's going to have the ability to connect to people regardless of what the perspective is, because there's some pitchers like Marcus Stroman's an analytically driven guy and he'll be able to connect with him. Whereas, you know, I don't know, let's just say Seth Lugo, for example, maybe isn't that, then he can relate to him as just a pitcher. So I, I, I'm excited that they added Hefner. I'm excited that they added a young guy that is well-versed in analytics because the Mets certainly have been behind the rest of the league analytically, and they're slowly but surely starting to catch up, and I think Hefner is a step in the right direction. Right. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Joe, I just got a notification from Joey Waller uh, from ABC News. I'm not 100% sure if this is legitimate. He is certified. But the notification says Tim Lincecum to the Mets. If this is a real thing, what are your thoughts? When's the last time he pitched? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's definitely been a while. Did yeah. He, I thought he retired. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if they sign Tim Lincecum, cool. My, minor league deal, I hope. And yeah, I don't really know. Let's see. No, I think this no, could I, be. A, I have no idea if there's any validity. To that. This could be a play on uh, the. I think it was. What is it? Uh, there was like some type of new that they're not going to be testing minor leaguers for uh, marijuana. I, oh. I that could be that, but I don't know. I just got it on my feed, so I thought I'd ask if this uh, is a legitimate thing. No, no, I certainly have not heard that Tim Lincecum's playing baseball in a while. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I've not heard that either. So <laughs> I guess I guess let me know if someone else tweets it, but. Uh, as far as far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't think that he's playing baseball anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we saw last year the Mets had like, I mean, my, like some bullpen struggles would be kind of putting it n- nicely. But Edwin Diaz and Jurius Familia, obviously two guys that have at times been top relievers in baseball. What do we? Ex- what can you expect out of them in 2020? I'm concerned about Familia. To be honest with you, I think he just lost the ability to throw strikes in any sense. And when you go down that road, that's hard to bounce back from. Whereas a guy like Diaz, he didn't really struggle too, too much throwing strikes. I mean, relatively speaking, uh, it's not like he lost control of everything. He just lost command of where he would put things in the strike zone and leaving sliders up, which you can attribute to the baseball, personal opinion. Uh, But his stuff was still electric. He still had a low hard hit rate. Uh, still, st- he struck out more guys per nine innings than he did in his season in Seattle. Right, granted, it's by point two per nine innings, but still. So his stuff's there. It's just, it, I hope he didn't lose his confidence. That's really it. Because with relief pitching, confidence is key. Because you're stretching. I mean, you're not stretching. You're going over three batters, two bat, you know, or three batters minutes now. Yeah, but you know, you're going for an inning, so you need to be confident that you're going to go and set those three guys down because if you have a bad inning, it's just a bad outing. Whereas if Steven Matz has a bad inning, he goes out there next inning and hopefully sets him down one, two, three. So hopefully Diaz didn't lose his confidence. 
because he did not lose his stuff in any way, shape, or form. Is is it uh, is it feasible to expect regression from JD Davis? Fangraphs has him as a two sixty hitter with twenty home runs in twenty twenty. Uh, you know, he was a three hundred hitter this past season. Where do you see him? Yeah, there's certainly reasons to think that he can regress. Uh, like I mentioned before, he had a very high BABIP, and that's typically a sign that he was lucky in a sense. But you also can look, his hard hit rate was so high. He just hit the ball so so hard that maybe it offsets the BABIP a little bit. So, yeah, I think it's fair to ex- expect some regression, but I don't think he's going from a 900 OPS guy to a 700 OPS guy. Excuse I think. You know, you could see some regression, and that's fine. I mean, 900 OPS is not an easy thing to accomplish. Yeah, so we saw Jed Lowry was hurt for basically all, all of last year. If the Mets do keep him, how likely is it that he's going to take a ba- at bats away from Cano? I'd be stunned if Jed Lowry was on the team in spring training. Absolutely stunned. I think it's their top priority right now to move Jed Lowry's money. Um, but I don't... I. They're not doing anything with Cano's playing time. Cano's going to have to play himself out of playing, and he had a he had a pretty solid second half after he came back from somehow getting hit in the hand like ten times. I don't know. He just kept getting hit in the hand by pitches somehow. Yeah. And he and then he tore the hamstring obviously. But then he came back and he hit well down the stretch. So you know he you're stuck with him. So you might as well play him and see if he could be closer to the second half Cano. Maybe you don't hit him at the top of the order. Maybe you drop him a little bit in the order, but you have no choice but to give him a shot. Right. Uh, Andy Martino reported that the Mets have touched base with Carlos Correa. Is this a possibility for the Mets or not really? I don't think so. I mean, I like that Brody's turning over every rock, but I don't see the really the fit, to be totally honest with you. Correa's really only a shortstop, and I am... So in Ahmed Rosario, I don't want to move him to center field or move him to another team. Mm-hmm. I want Ahmed Rosario as my shortstop. Yep. I think he showed great. He showed great strides, improving offensively and defensively, and his confidence. I think 2020 could be a big year for Ahmed. So I wouldn't. I don't think paying the cost that it would be to get Correa, who has missed a lot of time over the last two, three years too. Don't I mean we can't forget about that. I don't. I don't think it's worth it for the Mets. I mean, especially with the limited with the limited budget, you can't just you have to be p- particular about what you're going to move for. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks are around baseball. One of the big things going on is Steve Cohen, very wealthy guy, purchases the Mets. So how soon do you think the effects of his pur- purchase will be felt, and when do you expect everything to be finalized? By all accounts, it sounds like next winter you'll be able to get some Steve Cohen money and. Because certainly it seems like an agreement is imminent to some level. It doesn't get out there publicly if they're far away on negotiations. And the fact that the commissioner's office is aware of it and said there won't be any problems with it, that to me tells you that it's getting closer. But even if they agreed tomorrow, it's still months until everything really gets through because MLB will revet him again. Then, But as Manford, uh, Mr. Manford said, it's, likely no problem there and then after the commissioner okays it it then has to go to the owners and the rest of the owners have to approve it so that takes some time and they only will do that at quarterly meetings that they have so it's not like they'll send an email and say please reply yes or no for 
Steve Cohen. So yeah. They'll have, they do it in person. Um, so in the springtime, I think, is a reasonable time to think that you could hear that, okay, it's happening. Okay. We just have two more general baseball questions. Uh, the first one being the juice ball, you know, the MLB did another investigation. It feels like they're running an investigation every week as to what's going on with this ball. What do you think? Is there a solution? Should they go back to the old ball? Really, what do you think the solution is to this juice ball problem? They need to do something about the seams. I mean, the seams have been, or were messing with pitchers. Uh, when I was down in the minor leagues in Syracuse, talked to some pitchers, and because in AAA they use the same ball as the major and the stitches were an issue. It made it tough to grip for breaking balls, and guys would have to hold the ball a little longer, which led to more, you know, some injuries, to be honest with you. So they need to do something about the teams. Uh, as far as juice, like they say, there may not be so much evidence that it's juice inside, and the launch angle certainly is a factor that guys are trying to hit home runs. So they're going to naturally see more home runs when people are gunning to solely do so. Um, so I think if you fix the seams, that also fix some, some of the aerodynamics of it. So it'll make the ball carry a little less. And I, I think that's probably the fix. And if they fix that, you might just fix Edwin Diaz. Yeah. Yeah, so last really thing we have, more general ba- baseball rule. Do you like the three-batter m- minimum rule? It's obviously put in effect to speed up games, so what are your thoughts on it? No, I don't like it at all. I mean, it doesn't uh, – I think it was Tom Verducci on MLB Network. Yep. He was saying that the average – it will save around 44, 44 seconds. seconds. Yep, that was what I heard. So who cares? And to me, I think the worst thing about it – is not that I'm forced to pitch a guy that doesn't have it for three batters. The worst part is guys like Luis Avila and guys like Jerry Blevins, you're kicking guys out of the league basically by doing that. Yeah. Because they're lefty specialists. You're yeah. kicking people out of the league for 44 seconds a game. It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, maybe it's one of those things that they try and go back on and don't do anymore. You know, it's tough to sound. I mean, they could change rules whenever they really feel like it. Um, but I, I don't really particularly like it. But I think it's another thing, like when people freaked out about the intentional walk and not throwing the pitches or whatever. It's yeah. something that I think we're going to freak out about. And then once the season actually gets into the motion, we'll kind of forget about it. And it'll just be what it is. It'll be another rule. Right. All right, that's all. Thank you so much for joining us today on Inside and Out. Tune in next week for more sports content. And a special thanks to Joe DeMaio for spending his time today on the show. See you next week on Inside and Out.